Can I get a <laughs> Illuminati confirmed. You have been confirmed. Oh, that's that Illuminati music industry. Illuminati confirmed. How about this? Want to join Illuminati? Call us. No, oh, dude. I, I trust the media. I know a guy who knows a guy who's in Russia. Wait, what the fuck is this guy talking about? I don't know. Illuminati confirmed. Are you being for real right now? I am being 110. Illuminati confirmed. insect shells are have this this capability then it's quite possible that previous civilizations have discovered it and possibly individuals have my research came across a one victor gobinikov in russia who supposedly built a flying craft based off of this concept i think the guy down in homestead florida who built the coral castle also stumbled upon this fucking secret. And interestingly enough, there's, you know, some other shit in ancient history. Of course, the Egyptians, you know, deified the scarab beetle, especially when it came to relate relation to these metalobithic buildings they created. So they either just slided it under and it made it lighter and they just pushed all the shit in place. They interestingly in Aztec mythology, Quetzalcoatl uses a seashell, some people translated as a trumpet, but it's filled with bees. And he uses it to trick the god of the underworld who sits on top of this giant pyramid in one of their, their founding legends. And the guy at the Coral Castle, supposedly the kids who rode their bikes and spied on him, said he was using some kind of seashell cone-shaped device to levitate the blocks, which again, matches up with this weird Aztec mythology from, you know, hundreds of years ago. Damn, dude. I didn't even know that. That's kind of like, uh, so geez, that's like, a whole nother level, man. Know? Damn. Cause yeah, I still listen to them every week. And so, you know, yeah. it's still surreal that they were talking about my goofy ass. No, no, no. It's well-deserved, dude. I mean, <laughs> you, you definitely are, are connecting the dots on subjects that rarely get touched on. And not only are they, you know, in and of themselves rarely touched on, but when it comes to like 
connecting them together in the way that you have actually visiting the fucking place where this shit's gone down. We got a lot to get into. I already told Chris and Juan about yourself somewhat, but um, yeah, let's let Chris get a little warmed up and then we'll get started. Hi, Chris. How are you? We're doing boys. Oh, can you guys hear Everybody me? Everybody good? No. Sorry. I was late. I got caught behind it. You ready for this? Unacceptable, bro. I literally, I literally got caught behind a bridge that was up. You got on, on the other side of a bridge? Like like an old school bridge, you know, they go up, down. Go. I don't know. That happens here in Portland. Can you put a flat earth behind you, bro, please? <laughs> don't get with that fucking guy shit, started. Bro. <laughs> fucking guy started. Dog. One, oh first of all, first of all, you need to go back to the back street, boys. I. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what is going on with that all white getup today, Juan? You look really, you look like a Power Ranger. I got my tinfoil fucking hat, bro. And I, oh, that's uh, what that is. And then I'm fucking, bro. It's Florida. We, fo- yo, what part of Florida are you in, Chaz? I'm in Gainesville. Are you, Are you gonna go to the Jacksonville show? Huh? Are you gonna go to the Jacksonville show? Um, I, you know, I haven't heard from Sam, so I don't know. Um, I'd love to go. Um. My schedule's fucking crazy these days, though. Um, my, uh, are you in Jacksonville? I'm in Orlando. Uh, okay. My next book's um, about a, a case in Jacksonville. Um, I was supposed to be doing a case in Africa, but COVID hit, and I was stuck here for two years. So uh, I did this other book um, on the Betts Sphere. Are you familiar with that case? The Betts Sphere? Yeah. No, I fucking am. In the seventies, found this big metal sphere. Um, it's this wild, wild story. Can we talk about um, that today? Yeah, let's get yeah. into it. Let's get into it. Let's start recording, Chaz. You had so many interesting things it's to talk about. Florida man, bro, I'm speaking my language now, bro. <laughs> All right. Wait, wait. We didn't get that Backstreet diss on on tape, bro. <laughs> Damn it. I got it on tape, bitch. Oh, you've been recording one? Good. All right. I started recording a couple minutes ago. All right, cool. We'll we'll splice it around. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are on Illuminati Confirmed. Chaz, welcome to Illuminati Confirmed, where we three fools will use anything that you say. We can and will use anything that you say for humorous or satirical purposes. But we're going to get into it today with Chaz of the Dead. A guy who's a globetrotter, an author, a speaker, a psychedelic, psychotropic, paranormal investigator. Chris, Juan, how are you guys? Welcome to the show. Juan, what's going on? Welcome to, I don't want to make you start over, but welcome to Illuminati Confirmed. No, you're not used to me being back at the studio, but we got the fucking button, so. Yes, the first interview in a long time since Juan has been gone he was in miami now he's back in headquarters he's in his studio nicholas cage is creeping behind his right I shoulder a- I got a- oh, yeah. what up so yeah i'm back in the fucking studio back in the saddle excited to be here we got a florida man here today a fellow florida man so Ooh. i'm really excited chris you want to introduce yourself real quick before we get into this Back streets, back, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris is here, everybody. All right, so off to a hell of a start. If you couldn't tell, we haven't done this in a while. It's been too long. Got to get back into the swing of things. And 
we're doing it with a guest who's been on my show before. He just was on Tinfoil Hat. He's been across the gamut of weird, wild, strange podcasts, and he's also been across the globe studying this weird stuff. So, Chaz, for those who may not know about you, can you give us a little breakdown, a 101 on who you are and how you got here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I'm Chaz. It's a mononym like Zenday because some of my, my research verges on the edge of legal. So I, I like to keep it like that. You can find me at Chaz the Dead on all the social medias and all that shit. And Chaz of the Dead.com is where I post all my articles and podcast interviews and stuff like this. So thanks for having me on the show, guys. And yeah, I, I like to research weird shit to put it in the simplest sentence possible from UFOs to Bigfoot to poltergeist and, you know, psychedelics all in between. I try to, to look at the phenomenon from a, a pretty new angle. I'm not going to say I'm the, the, the new guy with it. it. It's been around the psychedelic theory for a while, but no one's really been around to apply it in the field. There's been a lot of, like, experiments at home and in labs at, like, Stanford and stuff like that. But no one's, you know, been like, well, let's go to a UFO hotspot and let's trip balls and see what happens. So that is kind of the inspiration for for some of my research. And it's, as you can imagine, it's been a pretty wild ride. So, you know, I definitely started out as a kind of like your traditional ghost adventures type paranormal investigator, you know, black tap out t-shirt in the haunted house at night talking to a voice recorder by myself and, and you know because uh like most people i kind of got interested in this this stuff through that that kind of medium that tv ghost hunter kind of stuff and very quickly i found it to be less than satisfying <laughs> there's, there's a whole lot of shit a whole lot of People making mountains out of molehills, you know, right? pretty sketchy evidence. Anyone who's watched one of those shows knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? But yeah, it sounds like it, it would be, you know, a fun experiment to go and, you know, throw psychedelics into the mix with one of those ghost-busting TV shows. <laughs> Absolutely. If anyone would legally let me do it, like Travel Channel, if you're listening, bankroll me. I'm here. I've got the, you can read the book. It's pretty weird stuff. It, it kind of works. So. You could do it in Chris, where Chris lives over there in, in Oregon, right? You could go in and do a haunted Oregon trail. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, I definitely want to keep that in mind. There's a couple places. And I've, again, I've seemed to skirt around the, the legalities of a lot of that <laughs> by myself. So, you know. There are some perks to living in Florida, <laughs> even if what? they're not what? legal. Illegal? Uh, Illegalities? What, what, what's illegal? Ghosts are illegal? What's going on? Chris. No, my, my, some of my psychedelic experiments, I'm going to put it this way. Very oh, right, right. Yeah. The law might have a different opinion sure. on what science is. <laughs> right. So we're, right. We're at some odds there. Right. But we're, we're, we're going to be talking a little bit about your story today. And I would probably assume that, you know, Patagonia, this is out of their jurisdiction where we are now. And I say that because I want to go to page 150 of your book here, which I recommend our listeners go and pick up. You say the first chapter of this section go into the theory and these methods laying down the backstory of how I ended up shipwrecked in Patagonia while tripping on LSD. So 
maybe I'm fast forwarding a bit there, but I want to know like what that situation, what led up to the circumstances of you getting shipwrecked on LSD. Can you name the book? What's the name? The, the book is Paranormal Expeditions, Hunt for the Friendship. It's available on Amazon. Go check it out. Soon to be republished with a fancy new cover, maybe, and all that stuff. But go check it out. You can still get your first editions now. They'll be collector's items one day. Oh, yeah, that's that. That's kind of where the, the book winds up. But to start that, we, that, that journey, I guess it actually does come back to Florida, to my parents' house. I was out of school. I had done some backpacking across Europe and North Africa and was kind of back home looking for my next, you know, steps, working out of Panera Bread and doing some weird experiments on the weekend. And one of those experiments was to combine this, you know, paranormal hobby of mine with the psychedelic, shamanic, you know, kind of new age stuff I was studying at the time. And I was like, all right, I'm going to take some magic mushrooms. I'm going to brew these teas and use a Ouija board, try to contact something. And of course, you know, the occult community is, you know, very divided on Ouija boards. A lot of people think they're, they're quite evil, chaotic. Here's mine right here. I don't know if you guys can see the video, but I use it to roll my... It's certainly, you know, it has as much power as you give it. You're dealing with the devil, you son of a bitch! Satan was rolled right into this doobie right here. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Put That's... some metal music behind that. <laughs> so the idea with that was, again, it gives the power you put behind it. Put myself in an altered state, you know, one of these shamanic states, and try to interact with, with these entities, you know, in this kind of Western new tradition on this Ouija board. And absolutely nothing happened. I mean, I had some good trips. You know, a, a water drop hit me in the center of the forehead one time, and it was, it was really cool. It's very, you know, one with the universe. But as for, like, creepy shit happening through the Ouija board, nothing. But in the times before and after I start these experiments, I started to see. The first one was right before I, I took my mushroom tea. I had brewed it. It was cooling. I was sitting outside. I saw this object. I was watching planes. And this one object wasn't blinking. It was staying the same color. And it suddenly burst and scattered into a bunch of different pieces, almost like a, a ship in like a movie re-entering atmosphere and blowing up, you know, into the little chunks. And so I, I thought it was a satellite re-entry, but doing, any re doing all the research I could, I couldn't find anything to corroborate that. It didn't seem anyone else really seemed to notice it. And I thought it was really bizarre, in particular because the, you know, the drugs hadn't taken effect yet. I had just brewed the tea. And there were a couple other oddities, again, in between the experiments. And the one that kind of cemented it for me was I was sitting with a buddy, and we were discussing this experiment, and he was kind of going like, okay, yeah, sure, dude. UFOs, Ouija boards, mushrooms, like, whatever. And I was like, you know, fair enough. It, it's, it's pretty out there. It's pretty crazy. I get that. You're right. And almost ironically, we begin to hear this metallic hum, and this triangle craft begins to, to cover, fly right above us, and it's right above the tree line. It's low to the ground. I hit it with a rock. It was... It was right there, right in each corner, one of these classic black triangle UFOs. The, some people call it, what is it, the T-3-1B or something like that. It's supposedly a government-built craft. But it seemed pretty intentional that we were having that conversation, my friend was laughing it off, and then, boom, a UFO showed up. Almost like the phenomenon 
you know, nodding at me and be like, no, no, it's not crazy. Don't fucking dismiss this shit. Look into this shit. And so that was kind of the aha moment where I realized, you know, there's something related between the various paranormal phenomena. And what I mean by that is, you know, I used to be in the camp, like, you know, ghosts are ghosts and Bigfoot's probably a monkey man somewhere in the woods. And then aliens probably come from a different planet. <laughs> but after that experience, it kind of, adjusted my viewpoint to what a lot of other researchers have kind of landed on and suggested. And that's from Jacques Vallée to J. Allen Hynek to some of the more out there people who get into more of the psychedelic stuff. But that these, the phenomenon is one that wears many masks. You know, I think Vallée has the, on the cover of Passport to Madonia, he's got the that gray alien and it's holding like a demon mask and it's holding like a Bigfoot mask and all that shit. And it's the idea that it's the same phenomenon appearing different ways. And I'm not really sure I'd go that far. Yeah, I do. I see where he's coming from, but that's still kind of a top down answer for me. Like it's someone who has a conclusion and they're finding shit to match it. I try to do from the bottom up. I try to take whatever, I, all the knowable information and then see what makes the most sense. And when it comes to the psychedelic theory, what makes the most sense is that whatever is happening in these paranormal instances, the trigger or the thing that allows it to occur has something to do with our consciousness. It has something to do with how our consciousness interacts with reality. And, you know, this is stuff backed up by people way smarter than me when it comes to, like, quantum mechanics and particles that you know don't exist unless they're observed again i'm not going to pretend like I, i'm qualified to talk about any of that stuff but if you're into that shit check out i, I got some names for you check out them by dr robert lanza kind of goes into this concept of you know biological organisms being a necessity for reality gets into some crazy math and science and biology so this kind of concept i think definitely applies he was he was writing it from the perspective of a neurosurgeon but this concept applies i think 100 to the paranormal to ufos and ghosts and you know bigfoot they may still all be separate things but whatever allows us to see them and interact with them and allows them to leave physical impacts on our reality, it has to do with, with us and the, the way we observe that. And of course, tinkering with our observation capabilities through you know, meditation or psychedelics can absolutely alter reality. How? Well, that's, that's what we're trying to figure out. <laughs> mm. So you're figuring this out and you're like, you know what? I'm going to go on a shamanic journey. I'm going to go down to. Oh, shit. I totally forgot that's where this was going. <laughs> yes. It's all right. Yes. Everyone but one here is going to be high and stoned at some point in this conversation. I just okay. rolled up. Chris was rolling up that whole time. Oh, yeah. I feel like Chris is like stage mom. I'm like, Chris, pay attention. I'm like texting him. Chris, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Chaz, go ahead. By the way, this is my whole life. <laughs> no, it's the the smoking is a requirement for the Illuminati, right? It's how you're confirmed. Illuminati <laughs> confirmed. <laughs> uh, we'll go with that. So you know, I kind of had this realization after that event, and I was, you know, you know, I already enjoyed traveling. I backpacked through Europe and Africa, kind of doing this as a hobby, writing for my little internet blog, and I was like. 
you know, wanting to take the next step as a, a writer and an investigator, but also looking for the perfect vehicle for this kind of theory. And, you know, I decided that the best way would to be find a case first, a case that no one's done before, because so many, especially here in the U.S., have been beaten to death, you know, these haunted buildings have been investigated thousands of times and they still haven't gotten a little ghost in a bag, right? I wanted to branch out to something that, you know, not only could I investigate from this psychedelic viewpoint, but also from the human viewpoint and from the traditional like ET, extraterrestrial or paranormal viewpoint, from even the religious viewpoint, as well as my psychedelic you know, theory. And I found that perfect case in the friendship case of Chile. Not to be confused with the friendship case of Italy, which was a different one. Bizarre that they use the same name, in particular because they're the friendship English. Both in Chile and in Italy, they use the English term, the friendship. Of course, not the Italian or the Spanish term, which bizarre in itself. But the friendship case in Chile, for those unfamiliar and you probably are because my book, I believe, is the only English language one out there on the subject. I don't believe I know. So go check it out. That's Paranormal Expeditions, Hunt for the French, available on Amazon. So the this group is tall, blonde. Each one of them has an angelic name. And each one seemed to be a, a, a specialist in a specific scientific area. They had a doctor, a biologist, chemist, mineralogist. And they appeared to these in these rural towns, these fishing communities throughout Patagonia, mainly in the 80s, but continuing on into the 2000s. It's very reminiscent of the contact era of ufology, for those who are familiar. It's that 50s to 60s time period where instead of like the little gray aliens, people were seeing pretty much other people. And they were having like these weird interactions and conversations and these entities were claiming to be from Venus and Mars. And it's really the bulk of the 50s, 60s, you know, contacting cases. And a lot of them are corroborated. You know, people saw the UFO land and things like that. And Similar to the friendship, these contactee aliens were always concerned about nuclear weapons and they wanted like peace and love and like space communism was, you know, really their, their kind of like message. And then in the 80s in the U.S., you have this shift to the abductions. It's from contacts to abductions, right? Where people are taken in the middle of the night, probed up the butt and, uh, you know, generally have a bad time. So... The contact, the friendship case has these contact E hallmarks, but it is in that 80s time period where the rest of ufology is kind of shifting to this dark view. And the friendship, the rumors of them being aliens comes from them themselves. They would tell people that, oh yeah, we're aliens from the center of the universe. And that was always their term, the center of the universe. They didn't get specific with planets or star systems like a lot of these aliens tend to. They just said, oh yeah, from the middle. And, you know... Being these tall, blonde, humanoid-looking people who are scientists and masters of multiple languages, there clearly is a, a secondary explanation for their presence in Chile and in South America because there were quite a couple, a few tall, blonde, you know, officers and scientists who showed up after World War II, you know, and there's this this big contingent of research out there that suggests that this friendship group 
is actually just people living on a secret Nazi submarine base. And all the, the you know, conjecture about them being aliens is like their cover. But their other association is people who interact with this group, they seem to be interacting with UFOs shortly after, and in one instance during. One witness, this famous UFO sighting, thousands of people saw it over Santiago and the capital. But one woman claimed to have a ham radio and to be communicating with the friendship who claimed to be on this device. And she would be like, oh yeah, well, do a loop-de-loop. And then the object in the sky would do this loop-de-loop and respond. And she became convinced that they were flying the, the craft. So there, there were these connections. To, and as I dug deeper, not all the connections were peace, love, and light, as you know, a lot of the contactees. There was one UFO group who they were doing interviews and talking about the case and supposedly were in contact with the group and getting messages through the mail. Well... <laughs> the they, get, of this they got letters from aliens. They got letters in the mail. Supposedly. So these, these guys were weirdos. We, we have one of those letters scanned and we can upload it right here. <laughs> well, I don't have any of the, the letters. So the, this is a tragic story of the end of this UFO group. If I could get the their files, that would be a, a gold mine. Maybe for the, the second time I go down there, maybe I'll focus more on that. But supposedly they were getting packages and mail from this, this group. And after the, the guy did a you know TV interview, they cut off contact. The main human witness would stop hanging out with the group. And we got this one more package from the friendship, this kind of final gift. And it was this weird, like, porcelain object statue thing. They had no idea what it was. It looked kind of like smooth porcelain. And they used it as, like, the centerpiece of their table. And the dude who got it, he would put it under his pillow as he slept. And all of a sudden, over the course of, like, two weeks, his health declined rapidly to the point where he had, like, full-on dementia. And, again, super rapid. And the, the witness who was part of this group said that his memory started fucking up, too. He couldn't remember his sister's name. He couldn't remember the company he worked for's name. And, like, all this kind of, like, key everyday information, he, he started having these, like, brain fogs. And he shortly moved away after this, this object showed up and, you know, no longer attended meetings. And his memory recovered. So it was kind of like a fuck you from the friendship. They were like, okay, well, we got to make sure they don't reveal any of our secrets. So we're going to send this little mind wipe device. Another guy, they, the, most of the witnesses were people who were smuggling goods to them through Patagonia and these rural communities. And they said you could always tell who was working with them because they'd get paid in like these gold or platinum coins and bars and shit like that. And this one dude picked up this job for the friendship last minute and got a bunch of these platinum coins. And then when he returned to town, some of the other merchants and shit jumped him and beat the shit out of him and took all these coins. Well, like, don't work for them again. Like, that's, that's our shit. So there's this kind of negative strain that goes throughout. And again, there's a lot of other people who say, like, they're peace and love and positive entities. So, you know, with all this kind of information, the possibility of Nazis, of aliens, of, and again, psychedelic shit, all of those stories had some semblance of psychedelic behavior, including that statue, clearly altered the, the minds and consciousness of the, the people around it. So I was like, this is a 
spot on fucking case to to check out and to look at through all these these different angles and so with that in mind by this time i had moved to mexico city you know when i was in the research phase of this and so you know from mexico city not that far of a flight so i I booked one and went down to chile for two and a half months and conducted some some weird psychedelic experiments and attempts to contact this group. I also went to a former Nazi compound and hung out and interviewed some some people to investigate that area. Went to a, a former SS officer's grave site, which was covered in rose bushes and well kept, and did that kind of research as well. So it was certainly a, a pretty crazy trip. To get to the meat of it, though, to the Patagonia shipwreck, oh, I kind of crisscrossed the country going to various UFO hotspots and Nazi compounds and shit, you know, researching these these various angles. <laughs> and I finally wound up in Chiloy, which is a big island right at the top of, of Patagonia. Very interestingly there, they have a legend of these, uh, of El Caluche, which is this ghost ship that's piloted by this gang of wizards. And the like, gang of wizards will show up and make like these weird Faustian bargains with people and shit in these coastal communities. And again, that dates back to the start of the colonial era, several hundred years, 400, I believe, years before this friendship group popped up. Very eerie, similar kind of legend. And so after spending some time in Chiloy, looking into that, kind of appreciating, it's very witchy kind of island of, that's where all the you know black magic shit is said to happen. I took a, a ferry for 26 hours to a island where I had figured this this port, this little port island, would be the best place to like search the various islands of, of Patagonia for this friendship island. Now there's a couple rumors of where this friendship island is online. One of them is like out in the Pacific, and this TV show tried to go there. Another one is this <laughs> national park, and it's a national park, so there's pictures. It's just it's clearly not. There's no secret base. It's a very small, forested island. People go to it and like leave. Like people take boat trips there, and there's like some weird art and stuff, but no go there either. So then there was this kind of this just general area. And again, one little town. And I knew in this town there had been these stories of people interacting with the group. So I figured that was my best best shot. I'm trying to remember the name right now, but I'm a couple doobies deep of that town. So it started with an A. Buy the book, find out. Uh, so I went down there, and at this point, I was running pretty well on funds. But... Uh, it was the off season, so the town was dead. Like not even the fishermen were there. There was this one little inn. We had first like booked like an Airbnb, and we got there. The old lady tried to like super overcharge us, and we were like, "Well, fuck it, we're, we're not paying that." Like, let's find, let's see if there's anywhere else we can go. And we found this one little inn, and the woman who ran it, her husband had this boat, and he, you know, went to the various islands, you know, on these like little supply runs, and he was doing one of those the next morning out to this couple who they lived alone in this two-room shack on this island in Patagonia, and they lived that way, I think it was for 40 years they had lived out on that island. They were in their 80s or something. No running water, no electricity. These weekly supply runs from this guy were, were the only contact they you know had with the outside world. 
And when he heard I was researching this UFO story, he's like, oh, come with me tomorrow and talk to these people because they've seen some wild shit. And so, yeah, I went down there. I, I got on this, this little wooden boat, single engine, scooted for, you know, hour, maybe two hours to this island in Patagonia. And again, absolutely beautiful, you know, these mountainous forested islands with these pebble beaches. We saw some dolphins, you know, by this island on our way to, to where these old folks live. And interestingly, they said, and one of the key witnesses, Ernesto de la Fuente, who supposedly was healed from a cancer by this group, he he claimed that the, the island they had was patrolled by sentient dolphins and bats, which was bizarre, like the psychic. Illuminati confirmed. There are Illuminati dolphins. Well, interestingly enough, they were talking about in the news recently, Russia using some military dolphins, and the U.S. used to have a program, too. So it's not that far out. So anyways, we get get to this island, and I'm with my research assistant, a girl from Mexico, and, you know, she's translating these stories from this old couple, and it is some super weird shit. Like, you know, they said, oh, yeah, we see these these big discs. And again, they've been on this island for years. They have no reference. They've never seen any movies. They have no, like, reference for ufology. But they could have fooled me as an expert with how they were describing this craft and their interactions and shit. This one, one glowing purple lit up their whole island. And as they were watching it, it kind of, like, stopped and, like, hovered towards them and got closer and kind of like investigated them a little bit. They were just kind of like, well, that's fucking weird. And like, yeah, they were, were surprised to hear it happened in other places and shit. They're like, oh, no, I didn't know that. And they said, yeah, so that one that like looked into us, it landed on that island over there in between this kind of like this valley. You can see these mountain peaks on this island and it kind of goes down into this valley. And, you know, it was the one we had passed with dolphins out front so i was like well shit let's go to this island and check it out like let's see if we can find any ufo activity any shit like that so we're getting into the boat i'm like well it's now or never as far as the experiment goes let's take this tab and by the time we're, we're across the water here at this island i'll be feeling some effects and we'll we'll see if we can't make some kind of psychic contact <laughs> tripping your well, fucking balls off we, we push off the rock. Yep, it's starting to hit. We push off the rock, and we're getting towards this island. And the engine cuts out, and they're trying to get it going and get it going. And I'm using a wooden pole to, like, keep the boat from, like, banging into these rocks as they try to restart the engine. We can't get it. So it's me, my research assistant, and two other dudes who are, you know, skipper and first mate of this tiny little wooden boat. And so we're trying to keep it from breaking up on these rocks. And I'm like, it's hitting me. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, oh fuck. <laughs> did they know that you took the, the, a tab? Did they know that? No, no, no. My, my assistant did. She knew that. But everyone else was blissfully unaware. By hey, hold on. Mark. You got a fucking assistant, dog? Well, we were dating at the time. And yeah, so. Come on, bro. It was that type of assistant. Come yeah. on, dog. Out of respect, I like to say. Come on, let's use words that we all understand. You know what I mean? Yeah, see, we we were dating at the time on this project. Wonderful girl. How much Uh, did you pay your assistant? So the trip was the payment. That's pretty good. Uh, Aliens? Yeah. Not bad. Nice vacation to Chile. Um, Next. And so the engine cuts out and we can't get it going. So we just steer it back onto this this nearby beach, you know, around the rocks with these 
Wood and Pole, and we are stuck with no cell reception, nothing. And so they're like, well, fuck, let's like hike up the island. And so it isn't the island with the ship, unfortunately. We crashed into the island where the old folks had the hut. And again, they had no water or electricity or anything. There was no contact we could make. So one guy with his cell phone starts hiking up the, the, around the island trying to find a cell signal. And we're like, fuck, well, we might be here a while, so let's start a fire. So I'm, like, tripping balls, collecting wood and, like, styrofoam and shit. I pour, pour a little gasoline on it, light it all up. We get this fire going because it's starting to rain and it's starting to get cold out. Because, you know, Patagonia is there at that, that southern tip of the world. But the temperature can drop and can drop fast with all the mountains and shit. So we're, you know, we're kind of huddled around this little fire and waiting and waiting. And we were there for a good amount of time. And I'm just, you know, like, oh. At least it's beautiful. Like I might starve out here, but <laughs> you know it's pretty nice. And eventually, this guy comes back, and he was able to get a, a message off. And this towboat shows up and, and tows us back, and tows us back past that island with the, the two with the valley where this UFO landed. And so, unfortunately, I never got a chance to to actually go set foot on that supposed island. But I do have a, a, a very good guess to where it might be for the next time. So that is that is how I ended up shipwrecked while tripping balls, which I don't, I don't know, I might be the only person to have been in that situation. I can't think of anyone, at least anyone else who has written about it. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Panagonia is known for UFO sighting. I don't know if you've seen the show Alone. Have you seen that show? Yeah. In particular, there was this episode where this girl, they pull up and it, the show alone is like a survivor-esque type show. You're alone in the wilderness. The long, the person who goes the longest gets $500,000. And the girl, they, they were in Patagonia for this season, coincidentally. And the first thing the girl says when they drop her off, because she was like this yoga, spiritual girl. She was like, hopefully I have a UFO experience out here. Because she was going to be by her fucking self. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of these experiences that we know of are done by without technology around and all these things. And they manifest if you want to, you know, Carl Jung talks about these archetypes being manifestations of the psyche and the subconscious. Mm-hmm. So hence why when you think about it, it shows up. So it's it's a projection of Man, your... Um, I be thinking about aliens all the time, bro. I ain't seen one, dog. That you know of. Yeah, but you also live like where there's so many other people that you like your thoughts are being yeah, drowned out. Like if you go to Patagonia, your you're the only person. Against, yeah, your reality right. has to bump up against everyone else's reality. Chaz, we need uh, to uh, we need to say one thing real quick is dude, you ever think about being like a Jonah Hill impersonator? <laughs> <laughs> I got that a lot in high school. What the hell is that yeah, supposed to mean, Chris? Though, so. what the he looks like Jonah Hill, motherfucker. What are you talking about? What does it mean? Like the like the new old Jonah That's Hill. That's a personal though. attack. That is amazing, bro. I would pull up in Hollywood and use that power. Oh my gosh. He can barely Let's go. I, I doubt there's a market for a, a film. To get if back to. You could be, be his body double, dude. Like the dictator, bro. Him, absolutely. I'll, I'll slide in. And then Chaz will have disappeared mysteriously. So all my books yeah. will sell like fucking hotcakes. There you and go. And I'll just pretend to be Jonah Hill. It's pretty good. That's, bro, fuck selling books, dog. 
All right. Movie money. All right, Chris, you know, maybe you should start a new podcast called the Business Tips with Prozer. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Juan, you brought up Chaz going to Patagonia. You said that this show alone, which I don't know why you'd bring yeah, a reality television into this, but. Wait, wait, Mark, Alone is the best show on TV. It's fucking show. amazing, bro. It's fucking show. amazing. It's that, it's Alone and Moonshiners are the best shows on TV, dog. So I haven't okay. seen that season, though. Does she get the UFO on camera? No, she she just says it. And then when I, you know, I had looked it up, something like that, because these, you know, these remote open areas, because it's a very remote yeah. area, there's a lot of, you know, like the Everglades, there's a lot of activity out in these areas that are highly charged. You know, the air is different. There's something in the water. Who knows? And that always stood out to me. She was like, oh, I want to have a UFO experience out here. If she got it or not, I'm not sure. Maybe we can get her on the fucking show. She was well, in Patagonia listen, for like the, a month. The reason I said that is because, you know, you know, we had Alex Stein on this show, right? Right. I was he, there. Yes. Yeah. He works in reality television. Okay. He's told me how that shit works. They probably told her to say that. They're like, oh, look oh, yeah. at this girl. She looks a little wonky, a little new agey. Let's let's play that up. That's all they do, bro. They just take your smallest. The people that go out for those TV shows, by the way, probably have very low quality to their personality anyways. No offense to them. So they take the smallest oh, little thing. Yo, Yo, Mark, this is shots Mark fired. Is shitting on this fucking show. He's like, they're the fucking scum of the earth, and they fucking don't even believe in UFOs, and they're told what to say. Yeah. The globalists are trying to take over. Am I the so guest on this show, or am I the host? Why are we all turning on me? Hold on here. Yeah, it's flipped on you. Well, my point is, is they probably prompted her to say that, but... One, you're kind of like putting your foot in your mouth because, of course, Chad knows how many UFOs are in Patagonia. He wrote the whole first section of his book about all the strange shit that goes on in that area. Yeah, I'm, so I'm just Patagonia, a peasant. It's definitely a lot of UFOs. There's this one girl who was like zapped by a UFO, burn marks and everything. People saw it chasing her down the street. It's also got a whole lot of other high schools. Talking about like a dog, like a UFO chasing <laughs> yeah, like, it, was like, it was a little UFO. It was like a little UFO, and it was like maybe a couple feet above her. And it was like just shooting this like laser at her ass and she was like running down the street. Ah, oh, fuck, ah, oh, shit. Like running away from it. People were like, fuck it, look at that. Damn. Uh, would you look at, would you look at that? It's another UFO zapping that bitch again. There we go. actually happened to an entire island in Brazil where Corrales where this whole island was inundated by these UFOs and almost exactly like that girls report where they were low to the ground, they were zapping people. This one was shaped like a tin can almost. And it was like fucking zapping people. It was big though. People like saw humanoid figures like behind little portholes and shit. Mm. And there was a doctor who worked on at the village and she took pictures of all like the wounds and shit and recorded all the hair loss and shit people were having. And like long-term side effects. Well, uh, and how many, how many, cause you know, we have some really strange stories out of South America. How many of those do you chalk up to this potential Nazi activity? Cause 
you know, when we hear about UFO activity in other places, it's usually not that like heinous. I don't know. It seems like there's a, like a cruel intention behind what you just described. Like they're just like laser beaming people in the butt and they're like, they're like terrorizing a whole island. Like that is actually something I've, I've made. Everybody out here, son. <laughs> well, and there's very few cases, you know, we, cattle mutilation, which is one of the darkest I think, aspects of the phenomena, that occurs all across the globe. But some of the only reported human mutilation cases come from Brazil in particular. And wow. that might be because Brazilian crime is pretty bad. <laughs> like, it could just be, like, some really creative... Bro, you know, if you were an alien, wouldn't you music. just abduct fat-ass Brazilian girls? Like, hell yeah. Well, it's never like, that. that. All these dudes... What? It's, it's just like the cattle, though. Like, it's, their assholes are, like, cored out, and all the blood's gone. They have these perfect... It's always the asshole. You tripping. <laughs> oh, check... Cattle mutilation's a dark rabbit hole to drop down, but it's definitely... Horny. Horny it's one of the most convincing right? aspects of the, the phenomenon for sure because it is it's fucking weird no um, bro no hold on again. hold on hold on chris chris i'm putting you in timeout for five minutes <laughs> let chaz talk god damn it go ahead chaz <laughs> Yo, first of all, you're gonna let all that shit slip. Like you're not gonna say nothing. Horny ass aliens, bro. They just flying around. What kind of alien? Like what? 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 Those are some. Those are some fucking messed up aliens. If they're mutilating cattle and getting horny about it. So I have a personal theory about. What, what all the butthole shit's about with the Tell aliens. us. This is why we have you here. We got to get to the bottom of it. No pun intended. So, with the abductions and everything, the, the aliens seem very interested in our biology and the animals of the planet. Cattle mutilations happen to, you know, cattle, horses and cows, but also to fucking chickens, dogs. Dogs in particular in Africa seem to get animal mutilated in a weird way in that same UFO-y kind of way. Sheep, they're really interested in the gooey bits of our biology and shit. And, and with humans, particularly the sexual stuff, you know, Barney... Yeah, see? I told you, Mark, motherfucker. The Barney Hill case, he had a thing put on his dick and Bruh. he left a ring of pimples around it. Like, what? Bro, horrible what are you talking about, experience. man? Yeah, Betty Barney Hill case, very famous. One of the first kind of that's the yeah, that's cases. the first abduction case in America. Yeah, right in America. So <laughs> they have this interest in our biology. If it is to that biocentrism point of view, I personally believe that that is how they travel. That they're not traveling faster than light with a traditional engine. If sentient life is a cornerstone of reality then you don't travel from planets to planets. You travel from bubbles of observed reality to bubbles of other observed reality. So, you know, Earth exists and all the solar systems and planets we can see exist because we see them. And so to get here, you, you put like a fetus in a jar and somehow fucking teleport. Again, it's a stretch. I get it. I'm missing a lot of, of science in there to prove that. 
But that's my theory on why they're so interested in our gunk. Our fucking taint. They're over there. Uh, they're, they're, always, they're always in the butt and the, the vag. And, it's like a crowley. They're like fucking little crowleys running around just up in everyone's ass. You can't help yourself, Juan, can you? You got a pigeonhole. You got a shoehorn crowley in every episode, do you, Juan? He was talking to them, bro. It wasn't. No, dude, this is the platonic solids, dude. Your dick is a square. Your balls are circles. What like do you think Iowa's was? Solids, man. What was that? Well, because you know, uh Lamb for Crowley's deity Lamb he was talking to was Thank a gray you. alien and an image pretty much. Chad, so I, I have this thing because I grew up in Puerto Rico, right? Well, I was born in Puerto Rico, I grew up there until I was like five or six or Ooh. seven, whatever, and then I moved Bye. here to the States. And I remember growing up as a kid, the number one thing that was like going on when I was growing up in Puerto Rico was El Chupacabra. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, listen to me. Listen, for real. Like, for the longest time, dude, there were stories about, because we have shutters in the island, right? In the Caribbean, mm-hmm. shutters. There would be hands coming in, trying to grab people, like these these clawed hands in through the shutters. And there was a lot, a lot, a lot of animals that were drained of their blood, okay? Mm-hmm. That they were drained of their blood. Now, that's a little bit different because... If you think about it, I mean, they're draining the blood instead of doing the precise cuts and the dissection of these animals. So is it a different type of species? And the way that it, it, it studies that anatomy, is it differently? Because it was like always like three marks in the neck or some shit. And they would drain yeah, that's all right. the blood. It was fucking crazy. Uh, it's similar, I remember that shit, dog. That was a big very deal. Similar to the cattle mutilations. And again, this, this separate entity but the results kind of the same and the hands reaching in that's common in a lot of ghosts and alien shit too just seeing you know disembodied limbs reaching out and shit like that and i think it's also interesting the chupacabra's sightings soon spread to other places where there were a lot of puerto rican people with i think only the exception being new york but texas florida around areas in mexico people started seeing chupacabras. Dude, there are chupacabras in New York, dog. You ever been, like, Bronx? (laughs) (laughs) So, Chaz... are too human in New York. (laughs) To add on to what you're saying, to add on to what you're saying, it perhaps is a cultural thing where wherever cultures go, they project these egregores, if you will, into existence. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So, I actually have a story that I gets into that it's one that takes place in africa and hopefully in the near future i've written the first half of the book the research portion now i've got to go there and check it out for myself but it's this case that has kind of disappeared it was written about in some african journals in the 80s but it's the ghost of the kalahari Wait, dude, and you're so, going to go to Africa alone? I don't know. My girlfriend might With his like, assistant. Bro. I'll sign up. I'll go with you, Chaz. You need a, you need a uh, personal security? Yo, I'm assistant. Son, you're going to need mad man. guns. I'm a <laughs> big, guns and jeeps and like I'm a big, hairy, crazy-looking dude. I like really have crazy privilege. So like people, people don't really bother me. I've been through South America and North Africa and shit. I don't look like I have money. You're not going to kidnap that guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I look unhinged, so people tend to leave me alone. Um, okay. So, I'll be good. Um, or not, and then I'll Wait, you got kung fu skills? Look at that. You got kung fu, dog? You got... 
I was a high school wrestler and football player. I, I, was, I got money. My money's on Mystic Mark, dog. Oh, no. Hey, I, I was a wrestler too, Chaz. Look at that, buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's so cool. you're going to Africa for what now? Tell us about this so, case. The yeah. Ghost of the Kalahari is in specifically the Kalahari Desert region in southern Africa. It's in parts of South Africa, Namibia, and Botswana. That's you're kind crazy. of the three countries that share that, you know, geographical region and it's kind of similar to your classic ball of light your brown mountain lights your marfa texas lights but in these extreme cases it's something different so the ball of light interacts with a lot of people some people a lot of times the modern reports refer to it as a ufo um you know it appeared in these ufo journals here and there and these, these african ufo journals and you know it was written from that perspective yo you racist dog if you go back to well hold on (laughs) if you go back to the colonial era where like the dutch and shit were hanging out and the same region they reported this ball of light turning into your classic ghost woman you know and like the dress and that all kind of shit and again modern reports report it as like a ufo it mutilates dogs it steals water which is this detail that pops up in a lot of cases it follows cars people have missing time all your classic ufo shit so people tend to see it as a ufo but what I found recently is in this one specific region between these two like desert villages, the ball of light isn't a ball of light. They call it the flying snake of Namibia. And it's this, it's almost like an Asian dragon. You know, it's a flying snake, but it has this massive light on its head. And they say you can only see the light until it gets closer and then you realize it's a snake. And it's kind of like a cobra, but the cobra flaps are a little further back and they like kind of like work as wings. And interestingly enough, though, it's always reported to have this intense heat about it. It's got like smoke coming out of its nostrils and shit like that. And it tends to mutilate animals by sucking their blood out in these puncture marks, just like a chupacabra. And it leaves these burns and scorch marks on the ground and the, on the animals. Again, just like a UFO mutilation. And, but for this region that doesn't have this colonial history as much and doesn't have you know, these modern ideas of UFOs, it's a snake. It's a flying snake. And you know, that idea of Carl Jung and the archetypes and you know, us seeing what we want to see. Interestingly enough, there was a very, from away from cryptozoology and UFO reports, there was a very scientific study in that same region, in Namibia, about color and vision and the perception of color. And they showed these Kalahari Bushmen, these you know, tribal people, this color test. And it was nine circles of green that in one circle was one shade different of green, just the slightest shade different. And I can't, like, I can't tell the difference. To, to you and us, it looks, they all look the same color. But all of these Ahari Bush people are like, that one, that one's the different one, that one's a different color green. So that was interesting enough. But then they did an inverse where it was nine circles, and one of them was clearly turquoise, like it was turquoise as as fuck, plainly turquoise. And about half of the the Namibian bush people could get it. They were like, I think maybe it's that one, but it might be that one. And they were having the same issue we had with the perfect, with all the green circles. And so it kind of proved this, you know, everyone had that question in school, you know, at middle school or 
elementary school. What if your red is different than my red? It probably is. <laughs> and our cultural understanding is what shapes our physical ability to see things like color. And if it is as basic as something like color, then fuck, of course it would apply to weird shit like the paranormal. And so, yeah, I think, I think when you have the, I think the skinwalker thing in the U.S. is kind of the latest emergence of that because, you know, in the past, most people's education was like religious based. And so they would see things like the Jersey devil and, you know, like these kind of, you know, demonic creatures. I'm not sure where Bigfoot, how Bigfoot comes in exactly. But again, that becomes a new archetype where people see this in the woods and they see Bigfoot. But nowadays you have a lot of people who don't believe any religious shit, don't believe in Bigfoot. And they see this thing in the woods and their brain makes this desperate attempt to rationalize it through what you have, which is the scientific understanding of animals in the woods. So you see these weird deer creatures that are all demorphed and fucked up. You see these weird, you know, humanoid-esque monsters, or sometimes you might even see them as like a fucking human, but with fucked up eyes or some shit like that. And that's that scientific, rational part of your brain trying, putting its filter on whatever is the phenomenon. I, I really love this idea because you brought up colors, right? And using different shades of, of colors and whatnot. And it's not far-fetched because we know that the Hans purple, the terracotta soldiers, when it gets to a certain degree of temperature, it escapes this dimension and it goes into another dimension. So it wouldn't put, I wouldn't put it past any of this technology that they, that they're able to use and escape the very, spectrum that we can see that we can physically see okay because we know that hans purple it escapes this dimension they fucking they put it to some are you talking about dude you've never heard of hans purple no so it's you just made me sneeze that was so mind-blowing what the hell is that (laughs) so the terracotta soldiers which i've seen in real life i've seen the actual terracotta soldiers at this, it's Smithsonian. Yeah, they're from China. Yes, there were. It was this dynasty, and it is. They're all anatomically individual. They all have their own characteristics. They're all unique. And it was this emperor that, again, a lot of a lot of. I have a theory that they were able to entrap people's souls into these soldiers. Okay. That's my theory that they made them all individual and whatnot so that they could fuse their soul into these soldiers somewhere into like a full metal alchemist type of thing where with a sigil and they put the guy's oh, yeah. soul into it. I think they believed that. I don't know if it actually fucking. Well, worked. we know the, the, the Taoist, you know, that they, the Taoism, you know, they, that's the form of alchemy that they have. So I wouldn't put it past them. Maybe they did believe it. Who knows? Right. It's technology that we don't know, but the purple, that they are painted in cannot be reproduced. It's been tried to, they've tried to reproduce it. And this is 2,500 years old and they cannot reproduce it. Now, when they, when they submerge it to different temperatures, it escapes this dimension. It does something with the spectrum. It's out of my fucking paley. What escapes this dimension? The physical material they don't know. It's no longer in our visible wait, spectrum. Wait, 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 wait. It's not in a, yeah, exactly. It's not in our visible spectrum. So in theory, if the photons aren't coming into our eye, 
it's out of this fucking realm. We can't see it. Color. Yeah, bro, it's fucking. Really imagine a seventh color. Hans purple. Look it up, bro. It's fucking wild. They don't know how to how they made it. They don't know why it does that, but it just does. So my whole thing is, if I've talked to Michael P. Masters, (laughs) case closed. (laughs) Of of identified flying objects, and he talks about these light. You know, the light that the UFOs use. It's a sort of time traveling device, and I wouldn't put it past them if they did some sort of color that escaped this reality, and they're just here hanging out. And whenever they want, they just blink into. You see, okay. always on Facebook, those two. What shit? What is this blue or gold? And it's like, oh, it's gold. Well, to me, it's blue. It's like we're seeing different spectrums of reality. Right. In the I just, same fucking object. I just, Chris, I just verified, and Hans Purple is a German pop artist, but Han <laughs> Han Purple. On purple, that is uh, that is what Juan's referring to. Yeah, fuck Mark. How's that? <laughs> Thank you, Chaz. Thank you, Chaz. Somehow they didn't get that, but yeah, synthetic barium copper silicate pigments developed in China and used in ancient and imperial China that so quantum physicists class. cannot explain why these. Wow. Yeah, it's the a, elites were using it. The higher class were using it. The so alchemists were using it. In the same vein, there's this whole league of historian and again it was in relation to this color study in the in namibia who think that blue didn't exist until i forget what date they put it on but it's weird because if you look into That's ancient like, greece yeah you could see the, like the ancient classical paintings there's no blue skies no blue and when you like homer's the odyssey never uses blue they describe the ocean as wine colored. Right. Like there's yep. all of these weird like replacements for blue when they're talking about the sky and the water. It, the Greeks didn't have blue. It's weird now that it's the main color on their flag, but it, it suggests perhaps the entire ancient world didn't have blue. They didn't see blue until someone created a dye or that concept. Was Dude, maybe the somehow. ocean changes colors though all during the day and from different angles and from. Ask Juan, every body of water has yeah. its own. And then also, they probably didn't have the pigment to make this shit in the first place. You know what I mean? Blue is a pretty rare color in the world. Yeah, but Chris, open up your perspective. I've heard this argument before, but it's also like if you wanted to paint the ocean, you'd have to paint it black, you'd have to paint it light blue, you'd have to paint it dark, you'd have to paint it silver. Green. Exactly. Right. Emerald. It's very hard to classify something that's constantly changing as far as the color is concerned correct yes but i think the concept here is that once it's introduced and this is kind of backed up with the the han purple shit once that pigment is introduced it exists you see it everywhere it's unanimous with it's it's the observer effect because you're talking about you're talking about how things don't exist until you observe them. I mean, we know that atoms observe act differently when they're being observed versus when they're not. So that's the whole simulation argument of what is behind the fabric of what we're not seeing. If if there is a tree that falls in the wood, doesn't in the woods, does it make a fucking noise or not? We don't know because we weren't there to yeah. physically observe it. Schrodinger's think, Schrodinger's cat is it? It's fucking dead and alive at the same time. You know what I mean? So does it matter? Biocentrism. They do a really good example of that tree falls in a forest thing, where if it falls in the forest, absolutely it makes a sound because there's other trees that are vibrated. There are other animals, insects, birds who feel that vibration. If a stone pillar on a distant planet falls 
doesn't make a sound on a distant dead planet. Absolutely not. No vibrations of eardrums, no nothing to absorb that vibration. Then absolutely it doesn't make a sound. There's nothing to experience that existence. And so again, it, it plays into things like the simulation theory. But again, that's a top-down answer. It's being like the matrix is true and like finding pieces to match that. We could still be in reality as we know it, like in space, in this universe, and there are different entities, but they just have an understanding of this science, these concepts, and so they're able to manipulate them and, yeah, blink in and out of our reality. Maybe they use a fetus in the jar to, like, view our reality and then step through it and take their shit. Who knows? Clearly, they have some kind of understanding of this, though. Um, Sorry, go ahead. But it, for me to say it's the simulation, I, I don't know if there's enough of that to prove that. I mean, it all seems pretty random and bizarre until it doesn't. And so it, it's it's hard to say. There's other theories. The sentient plasma theory is one that's out there. That the idea that these entities are real, they exist in like a plasma form. They kind of like fly around our, you know, our atmosphere and that is just again it's the same thing we were just talking about our perception to shape them into being metal craft or you know fucking bigfoot or whatever it is so again that's a pretty decent theory but it's pretty much the same as saying aliens because we don't have a sentient plasma in a jar to like study we don't have an alien from a different planet to study or maybe we do depends on who you believe but until we the public have that i'm not comfortable in saying yeah that's it or yeah that's it we don't have one of the what are they called in the matrix the flying robots the cylons or whatever whatever they're called we don't have one of those in a jar either so i can't say simulation theory is the one either but all of these theories definitely relate to this structural issue mm. and i think that observing and researching the paranormal is probably the best route to finding some kind of usable information from from this issue. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And you are on the front lines of that, I would say, because that's how we're going to define this next frontier of science through integrating what is actually going on in the paranormal studies i mean it's not just comprised of soul hallucination sure there are people who hallucinate and and imagine things but then again there's a certain logic to say that like what even is a hallucination like to your point chaz Mm -hmm. about like using and integrating psychedelics to facilitate like can we talk can we speak to that a little bit and like what the scientific protocol is there for maybe the observer under the influence of these molecules, we'll say? Yeah, so that one's, that, that's kind of the big conundrum of this, this area of research is because, you know, I, I do, there's throughout history, there's cultures who have had use and understanding of these substances. I really do think here in the Americas, some of them had it down to really a science of how you can alter your perception and alter your reality via extension. And, you know, the church came in and killed everyone who <laughs> did that shit because it contradicted with their basic meditation shit, which again, it does work, you know, prayer and all that stuff. It alters your reality, thereby altering 
the reality around you. But it's definitely some weak sauce compared to what those shamans are doing in the Amazon and we're doing around the Americas if the, the stories and things are to be believed. So we've kind of we kind of lost that. We we've had some people, you know, your Terrence McKenna's and stuff, who have kind of reopened that study. But that study again has been only in the the realm of the mind, right? And they're, they're investigating it, you know, and the potential of your your mind expanding beyond that. But from the the idea that it's a you know chemical process in your brain, it's an A to B you know process. Chemicals in your brain, you see the thing, and then a lot of like philosophizing of what the thing is. And, you know, that's fun. Everyone who's done psychedelics knows that it's a valuable experience, but it doesn't really get us closer to understanding it. You know, we, you, it helps an individual get closer to understanding it, absolutely. And I think if more individuals were exposed to it on a societal level, we would probably be making more breakthroughs in this specific area of research. But... As far as the experiments go, eh, they're, they're, they're pretty tough in the lab right now, and they don't really show much other than that these things aren't dangerous, which we already knew. They're, they're again, looking at it from a pharmaceutical, industrial, complex kind of view, which isn't going to... to now, really what about from, from your point of view? Because you've obviously, we don't want to, like you said, you want to keep a certain amount of distance between you and the subject we're talking about, just for your own safety, so to speak. Okay. But how much have we experienced in this line of experimentation? Well, I kind of hit on some of the big ones, you know, the the Ouija board one that sticks out. I did in relation to that, those lights in Africa, I did do a a tour of some U.S.-based lights last year and did one of these experiments in Marfa, Texas, with famous Marfa lights. We actually showed up to town, like, a day after the Marfa Lights Festival, which I was bummed out. I would have rushed my schedule if I had known. But the first night we went out and there was kind of this one light out there and there was guys saying, oh, that's one of them. And I was like, okay, it just looks like a stagnant light. Like, what is, sure. And then it did do a weird maneuver, kind of floated up into the sky and went down and disappeared. So the next night I was like, all right, I'm going to take some mushrooms and see if I can, you know, get one of these lights to, to interact. And there were probably, instead of the one stagnant light, there were probably seven or eight lights dancing around doing a crazy thing. And there's this viewing center. There's other people out there. You know, it's not just happening because it's, it's me solely on these drugs there was a sharp increase in these lights for the other people around me as well and again i set out with this intention took some drugs and tried to to manifest something now i obviously want to put a disclaimer always have a spotter who's not on drugs when you're doing shit like this if you you know feel so inclined always you know use a safe dosage don't go crazy high and interestingly enough i i found that you probably don't need to take a large dose at all. That's probably less effective. Again, with the Ouija board experiments, the UFO sightings, the best evidence occurred in the days after the experiments. I wasn't actively on the substances. They were still floating around in my system a little bit, but I wasn't actively on them. And again, I've had these, these you know, corroborated sightings. And it does, it seems that, and this is something people who take psychedelics know that the, the days afterwards reality is still a little weird still a little different right sometimes different good sometimes different hungover but it's different and it seems to be that that difference somewhere in there 
seems to be the key. There was another researcher out of California, Jefferson Weekly, I think is what his name, something like that. But he's kind of dropped off the, the radar since this reporting, but he had this full-on abduction experience, and he was convinced that it was because he took mushrooms a month before. He was like, I, I don't know why, but I have this like intense internal feeling that those entities, those a gray aliens that were in my bed, did the experiments on me, they had something to do with with that, you know, that psychedelics I, I took before. And again, he was reporting it about a month late or maybe three weeks after his, his psychedelic trip. So again, it's it's difficult. It's kind of like shooting in the dark and hoping you, you hit something because the, the science has been lost. And, you know, the information out there on a lot of these subjects is murky at best. And so it's, it's a difficult task, but I've got a couple different experiments. Hopefully, if I can find some proper experimental materials, I can go forward with them to kind of test out some of the more known, you know, effects of certain substances and things like that. And of course, in relation to the paranormal, I want to go to, you know about Robert the doll one down in Key West? Key West. Yeah. Well, I had this experiment planned to go down there and do some salvia out of a vaporizer and then stare at them. Because you you have fun with that. But I was going to say, did you have anything in the Everglades that you'd like to see? Hold on, I want to know why he, what you, why'd you interrupt him? I want to know why he would stare at that. Because it's fucking haunted, bro. Yeah, but like, why salvia? That's different, like, he could pick anything. scores and scores of reports of people swapping consciousness with inanimate objects. Like, I smoked it and that was my doorknob for like- What the fuck are you doing, dude? Don't do that. You're going to turn into a glass of fucking orange juice for eternity. (laughs) Don't do that, dude. You know, I so see, I want to see what happens. <laughs> Someone's got it, and that's the that's I the support it. Of this. And, I'm a fork. There's been a lot of great minds who have theorized about these ideas and the psychedelic theory and shit, but no one's actually doing the experiments, and so that's the gap I'm trying to fill. All right, and, so give me the breakdown here. I smoke salvia. I'm in the Everglades. I'm on the fucking fan boat with Juan, and I see Bigfoot. Bada bing, bada boom. Steady. Yeah, for the Everglades, I really want to get down to. Yay? Nay. It's a little south and homestead, the Coral Castle. Bro, uh, I got a fucking piece of the Coral Castle right behind me, right here, in a little fucking yes, thing, bro. Because that relates to a whole other thing I got going called B Theory. I think Mark and I talked about it. Is that the, what the little black box was? We did. I actually filled them in on that a little bit because I thought that would really uh, blow their minds and get them excited for <laughs> for this conversation. But yeah, if you want to get into Victor Gerbinikov again, it's such an interesting topic. I, I don't mind. I'm sure there's more that you have to say on the topic now. I got a couple well, things a to say. In, in relation to the, the Coral Castle. Because so he's got I, a little black box that he would carry around with him. Was that the fucking bees, Chaz? Was it the fucking bees? <laughs> so, yeah, oh, dude, so it's the thing that Jews put on their head. Dude. He had this black box. So let me quick run down on the story. Go listen to, what was it? Episode 118? Um, episode 118 of My Family yeah. Crazy. I think I, I went in depth. But it's this idea that anti-gravity technology 
is based off of insects. In particular, heavy insects like heavy insects like bees, scarab beetles, there's German cockroaches that can like fly at you. We get here in Florida. Palmetto bugs. <laughs> any, any of shit. Supposedly in their wing flaps, there's this special pattern or whatever that gives them anti-gravitical powers. And I originally heard this from a crazy guy in Morocco. And then it was verified later by a couple other shady, crazy guys. So again, full story on that episode 118. So the idea with that, though, the extension of that is that this anti-gravity technology is that simple. Bees, you know, insect shells are have this, this capability. And it's quite possible that previous civilizations have discovered it and possibly individuals have. My research came across a one Viktor Gerbenikov in Russia who supposedly built a flying craft based off of this concept. I think the guy down in Homestead, Florida, who built the Coral Castle, also stumbled upon this fucking secret. And interestingly enough, there's, you know, some other shit in ancient history. Of course, the Egyptians, you know, deified the scarab beetle, especially when it came to relate relation to these metallolithic buildings they created. So maybe they just slided it under and it made it lighter and they just pushed all the shit in place. They interestingly in Aztec mythology, Quetzalcoatl uses a seashell, some people translate it as a trumpet, but it's filled with bees. And he uses it to trick the god of the underworld who sits on top of this giant pyramid in one of their, their founding legends. And the guy at the Coral Castle, supposedly the kids who rode their bikes and spied on him, said he was using some kind of seashell cone-shaped device to levitate the blocks. Which again, matches up with this weird Aztec mythology from you know hundreds of years ago so it's this weird weird side theory and again i try to take all my theories from the basis up and as we've been discussing in this episode my a theory my number one theory is the psychedelic one that it's something to do with our consciousness facilitates you know paranormal events and then there's b theory which is my little pun because it's number two and it's also based around this crazy idea that bees have anti-gravity technology. And it's the idea that, again, humans are at the core responsible for most of the lack now, of paranormal shit. Let's be real clear, though, Chaz, because when you say bees have anti-gravity technology, I'm wondering, like, okay, so... Do biology, you trap the... technology. Uh, okay, biology. <laughs> so do they? do they... Do they, you know, how do they utilize that function in the insect for a utilitarian purpose? Because with Coral Castle, with these megalithic sites, we're talking about vibration possibly being utilized to change the nature of gravity. So, to you know, what you've researched, what do you, what's your theory on, on like how this fits into a device or an application, a, a technique of building? How does it work? So this comes mostly from Viktor Gerbenikov, the aforementioned Russian scientist. Um, he was a real scientist. He was an entomologist, a bug guy. Um, and, sorry. and he discovered this, what was it, C, CES, CSE energy, which was the special kind of like electromagnetic field given off by insect nests. And he discovered that any kind of like honeycomb pattern, if you like make one of those, it'll like make this weird, it'll kind of give off this side effect, this weird energy. And towards his later life, he kind of got Wilhelm Reich 
hormone energy with it and they're like using it to heal people supposedly and shit like that but we also had a lot of normal above the board like discoveries about insects he did something with alfalfa pests and like he's a there's a portion of a museum at a university named after him he was a, a legitimate scientist until he just and eventually he reported in his memoirs that he discovered these wing flaps on the insects would give off this sharp amount of CSEMG, more notable than you know the, the nests themselves and so he like plucked one off of a, an unnamed insect put it under a microscope and when he did so he noticed that it was floating for a second before it came to rest on the glass and supposedly he took a bunch of these wing shells and strapped like wired them together with metal wire and put them in these boxes and now here's one of the first murky details the exact construction and how the shells and stuff are aligned inside that box is unknown i just know he said he wired a bunch of them together and then he shows these boxes that he had <laughs> that were supposedly the final product and there's videos of him like tapping it and it flies up to the ceiling and kind of like floats back down, like bounces gingerly. And after, you know, just the slightest tap and stuff. And supposedly he strapped a bunch of the boxes together. I don't know how many insects he killed to get all the bits, but supposedly enough to make a little pallet with these handlebars. And when he lifted up on that, it would take off into the sky and fly. And it had all of these strange attributes that we've been discussing. And this is why the theory really stuck out with me, is because the side effects he described were the same side effects of the psychedelic experience, the same side effects that I noted in commonality with, you know, paranormal experiences. And he said people wouldn't see him when he was flying it as a little man on a flying pallet. They'd see these glowing discs and translucent shapes all these weird poltergeist activity and time warps and changes and shit would happen when he operated the crap go check out episode 118 to hear all that shit he eventually decided to can the project because a bunch of other ufos were flying around and no one else was talking about it so he was like i don't want to get fucking killed or anything so i'm just gonna put this away and he wrote about it again in one chapter in his memoirs he was like yeah one time i built a flying craft and shortly after the release of those memoirs in the early 2000s he passed away i don't know the circumstances and that story's kind of dried up i wanted to go to russia i even got a russian friend who was like willing to you know sign off who i knew from mexico because you need a, someone to vouch for you as an American going to Russia. But those plans are on indefinite hiatus for the current conflict. I don't think we're going to appreciate a bunch of Americans running around asking UFO-based questions with the, the climate as it is. So I'm going to Africa instead. See, I do have a limit. I, I'm not going to try to get shot intentionally. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, Africa definitely Gulags. poses its own risks, but yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, better get shot than gulags, though, you know. Right. Go ahead and shoot me. Don't rip my fingernails off and shit like that. No go for me, man. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Leave my testicles alone. I don't want any of that fucking James Bond shit. I'm, I'm cool. Just shoot me in the head. I don't have any money, but if that's what you got to do, man, read damn video or whatever. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, Juan's oh, screen sharing. So let's connect it back to Coral Castle. Do you think that in this black box that Ed Lee Skillhan possessed, do you think that he was, you know, maybe arranging 
wing or shells of, of, you know, these insects in there, or, or maybe even just using some kind of like further application of this same science? Yeah, I, I think that, again, if it is something as mundane as bees, then yeah, I think that's absolutely a possibility. It explains some of the weird, you know, how he moved it in one night, supposedly by himself and shit well, that. I remember, I remember reading something about Viktor Grebenikov recently that the, the initial discovery was because he was sleeping in a particular area of this Russian wilderness and he noticed a strange feeling when he was sleeping in this one particular area. So he's like, well, there must be something underground or maybe he saw bees flying around. However he pieced together, he realized that there was a, a beehive, a significantly large colony of beehives Mm -hmm. underneath that exact spot so my thought is given that like there's all this research that shows there are hollow areas underneath these very large megalithic sites what if in ancient times they just like you know they filled these giant caverns underneath where the pyramids and all these places are built with bees and got waited like 30 40 50 years until the bees were just everywhere and they're like okay it's ready and you could you know they created that feeling somehow i'm just trying to spitball here i think there's definitely like a lost science of vibration at play with a lot of those like underground cities in turkey they have like special chambers where like you blow into it and like vibrates this room and shit like that again i do think in the paranormal there's a lot we tend to like dismiss those stuff a lot you know as oh it's too weird to be humans and i i I like to we're pretty weird you know what i mean like it goes back to, you know, the A theory and B theory. But if you were to take those theories to Vegas, they would probably, better, the, the odds would be in favor of B theory because we know humans are real. They're weird. They have secret projects and do, you know, secret things. We do know that there are mysteries and physics on our planet that remain to be solved. So logic would suggest that there is, you know, rationally that this theory is probably not that far out there. And, you know, it's, it's silly when you say, when someone says be powered UFOs, it's ridiculous. But again, it's, it's some weird stuff. And so back to the nests, Gorbinikov was laying on when he he felt the strange vibration. It was actually an interesting report. I think it was from above top secret.com. So grain of salt, but there was this report that, someone was hiking in the woods and they walked into this like kind of like area of all these trees, you know, you know how the woods kind of form those little rooms here and there and the thick wilderness. And he walked in and like these hollowed out trees were filled, filled with beehives. And he started to feel weird. And he like, when he was blinking his eyes, his surroundings were like changing, like they were like waning and kind of like a psychedelic experience. And like he rushed out of there and got out of there. And again, independently, this guy has no concept of B theory or anything like that. He said, I think if I had stayed in there, I would have been teleported. And this is probably what missing 411 is. And so that was an interesting story. That's an interesting theory. Because again, it does, in a lot of those missing 411 cases, for, for those who don't know, it's people who go missing in the, the national parks. There's a, a billion YouTube videos out there. Go, go listen to one. But there are these, these strange disappearances, and it's a lot of times people, 
like a toddler will be found up a ridge that there was no way they could have climbed up there on their own. With food in their stomach. So a lot of people think it's Bigfoot kidnapping people and, and shit like that. But maybe they just stepped into a spot of the woods and got on a weird teleporting train. Like it just zoop, 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 zips and zaps them around and then they're just fucking lost in the woods. So again, fun story, but top down, I don't have enough evidence to prove any of those to be true. I'm still working on getting an entomologist who is open-minded enough to figure out this crazy idea and look into it. I, I've got to start prodding around the University of Florida over here. But it's it's a fascinating concept. And again, I think that, you know, we do have these weird, even in recent times, we have cases of, like, people flying with jetpacks around L.A. and shit, like, floating at, like, impossible heights and, and weird shit like that. Again, maybe it's possible that it's a secret society that has this information. The bees pop up in Freemasonry a bunch. And, you know, they were Masons. They were moving heavy blocks. Maybe they just Bro, the, that from the Egyptian secret schools. And the state like, oh, that's how the Egyptians did it. Let's use it to build our churches and shit. The state of Utah, their highway sign is a beehive with the number nine on it. And it goes back to the Mormons and this big state that they had it was never officially recognized as a state but the mormons before the west was fully settled and they were the only you know colonists out there they had this thing called the state of deseret and their symbol was this honeycomb which is who knows what that goes to but they're very freemasonic the mormons in origin yeah well the, the bee occult connections its whole own rabbit hole that i haven't fully fully explored yet because it gets it's crazy fast and I've already had people send me like crazy emails and they like these weird leads. This one person was trying to get me involved in this like Reddit subreddit about some guy who's a reptilian alien and he knows the secrets of the universe and some weird cult. And they've been reaching out. <laughs> I've had this theory has uh, attracted some weirdos. So far, not the men in black though. I'm still waiting. I'm looking at the door right now. It would make sense. To get the knock and they're going to be like, you got to shut the fuck up. I'm waiting for it. Oh shit! Oh, you gotta be careful with that. So we have a so there's a there's a few things. The frequency at which bees operate, allegedly, it's got healing properties. I mean, if you look at honey, it preserves things. Okay, it preserves things. It's very good for you. It's got antioxidants and all this other bullshit in it. They say it's the the original term for sweet dreams comes from taking a teaspoon of honey before going to bed, and supposedly it helps your dreams. So. This vibrational aspect of everything, there's a reason why there are these different narratives. So the first narrative is that the bees are dying, right? The bees, we need to save the bees, save the bees, save the bees, yeah, whatever. Yeah, they're all rushing to put them inside their UFO engine. Yeah, so that, that's weird. And also, we you brought up, so Coral Castle, Edward, I, I forget how to say his last name, lead, lead scanning or something like that. Lead hill, hand skill, lead hand some, skill. Some weird way. So he I said, pronounced it the right way. No, I'm sure you didn't because I've been there. It's like lead scanning or something. Lead and, hand skill, you son of a bitch. Yeah, that's right. So he said he had discovered the secrets of how they built the pyramids. He even said that himself. This is a five foot, hundred pound sickly man. That the reason that he came to Florida was to, I think he had tuberculosis or some shit. And he needed the sun to, to cure himself. But did you know, Chaz, that he brought that stuff up further down in Homestead because I have a house down in Homestead. Mm -hmm. He brought it, he trucked it from the original area 
to where it's at now, where the original, where the Coral Castle is at now. Yeah, and he moved it at night by himself. No, like, so the first time. Who, yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. It was like. So he like went to get a coffee for like an hour or two hours. Yeah, it was like fucking was set up. Uh-huh. super shady. But it, in the Great Pyramid of Giza, my buddy's been there a few times. And he tells me that they always tell the people who are going within the pyramid to not chant at any, or do anything. It's like prohibited to chant at any fucking frequency or whatever. And they were doing a private tour in the King's chamber, the Queen's chamber, whichever one has the the granite box in it. And he laid down the box and his tour guide was a private tour. So it was only them in there. They started to, to hum at a certain frequency. And he says, while he was laying down in the box, he said it started vibrating so violently that he needed to get out of the box. Cause he's like, dude, this is fucking wild. I have this other theory where perhaps all these missing civilizations, you know, you have the Mayan civilization, you have Mohenjo-Daro, you have all these other civilizations that just got up and and went, right? They just left. They just Mm -hmm. left. That maybe they were able to tap into this sort of vibrational frequency in order to piece out of this dimension, okay? Like Um, dissolve some Stargate shit. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when all the motherfucking dolphins shoot up into space. (laughs) (laughs) So hear me out because have you been to the rainforest yet, Chaz? Because my wife's Brazilian. I I haven't been to the Amazon. I went to a rainforest in Costa Rica. Um, So the the rainforest. I don't know if you've ever heard of. Terra Preta, which is blacks soil in in mm-hmm. in Portuguese. Have you ever looked at the connection into that and how that might play a role into the conductivity of these frequencies and these megalithic structures and how that works? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, again, there is that connection back to psychedelic experiences with all of these monolithic sites. You've got people, you know, who've been tripping at Stonehenge and reported weird shit and the pyramids, all of these sites, they attract it. You know, people go there with that shit in mind. And I don't know. As another connection to these sites. There's something there. (laughs) Another connection to to these sites is that geoengineered soil where it has so the the idea is that the brazilian rainforest is an out of control botanical garden it was a artificial greenhouse and and they they know they did those recent laser scans where they found mm -hmm. massive you know i think it's like maybe even larger than mexico city was there's a bunch of fucking different so you know the government always says hey nobody can live here no but nothing existed here they start clearing it out and, you know, lo and behold, there's a bunch of fucking civilizations and old ruins. And it's like, wait a minute, if it's if it was uh, deserted and nobody lived here, what's up with all these ruins? Like something's not adding up. And the whole thing is this geoengineered soil that is in different parts of the world, the same genetic makeup of the soil that's found in all these different parts of the world is the same soil and it can't be reproduced. Again, it's a geoengineered soil that's that the the way I see it is these people at one point in time, I believe were able to change their genome in some way, shape or form and tap into something other, you know, not otherworldly, but just technology that we don't understand. And they were able to change, you know, it's got to do with the RH negative and the haplogene X. Yeah. And again, I think there's these examples throughout history where we've lost technology. And I, I always like, I never like to attribute that to aliens. Because, you know, ancient aliens does that 
they make a, they do a fine job of presenting that theory because it's nonsense and it's pretty nonsensical when you watch that show. I definitely think human we we definitely undersell our ancestors. You know, there's those stones, uh, those structures in Scotland where the stone's been melted, and they estimate it would have taken like a nuclear blast to melt those stones. Mm. But it was done in medieval times, and so some war chief just had like. He invented like napalm or whatever, like way before anyone else. And it was like a family secret, man. It just fucking died off. They lost it. Yeah, we um, talked about. Go ahead. I was going to say the Nazca Lines is my favorite one because they definitely just had a hot air balloon. And like they re- they had people like in Latin America who rebuilt a hot air balloon based off of animal hides and shit they would have back then. And it looks different. It's like this weird triangle shaped balloon thing. But yeah, it works just the same. And like clearly, again, they had fire, they had hides. They clearly did those drawings. It was like some cool thing, like the king would like show a rival king or whatever. Like they bust out their flying shit. And we know the Inca were wiped out by a massive civil war a decade before the Spanish showed up. They had no fighting males. If that civil war hadn't happened, there's a lot of historians who suggest if you take disease out of it, the Incan Empire could have probably fought off the Spanish easily because, you know, they're living on top of hills and shit. So a hill flying, a rock flying down a a mountain is as good as a bullet. And they had, that was their, their slingshot that they were using. So... Again, I think we, we just undersell the, these, these societies. That secret of the hot air balloon was probably fucking destroyed when they civil warred against the last king. They burned all of his shit. You know, got to get rid of the old regime. No more of their shit. And so, the again, I don't like when it comes to, if I was a gambling man, which I am sometimes, the human theory when it comes to an explanation for most of this shit, there's still some shit that's, far out there that defies that human explanation. But the human explanation shouldn't ever be like sold out of the water. Like there's a lot of people who, you know, I mean, all of the ghost hunting shit you see on TV is based on throwing out (laughs) that explanation. Because all of those voices that there's electrical signals all around us constantly. We live in 2022. Of course, you're going to get weird shit picking up on device radios and fucking voice recorders and shit. Absolutely. It relies on pareidolia and ignoring the human element for 99% of that shit. But other instances, you have shit that moves on its own. There's no reason for it to move on its own. Fucking shit that writes on the walls. Information that people wouldn't know normally and now know. Mm. And so there is clearly something going on beyond our understanding. But just because that's true doesn't mean humans can't be responsible for a large other portion of it. Right, right, right. And especially when, you know, our idea of what it means to be human is so underestimated and undervalued. But, you know, speaking of knowing and not knowing things, I was wrong before, guys. His name is actually Lead Scalman. Juan, Juan was really so correct. Confident. I was so confident. Uh, I was something like that. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now, but it's weird because he has this, there's a website where this guy's like taking up his research and there's something on there called the Demon Motor. And it's like, it looks almost like it's in like a honeycomb arrangement, but but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's an interesting pattern. You'd have to like 
look, I don't want to share my screen just for this, but Bernikoff said that any, like he said, you could like get a bunch of straws together and like rubber band them together. And that would get off this CSE energy, like any kind of honeycomb repeated pattern like that had this, this special energy. And yeah, it did kind of get weird, like orgone energy kind of towards the end of it. Like he was using these devices supposedly to heal people, like a bunch of egg cartons glued together. And if you sat under that, it would heal you. I tried it out. It didn't feel like I didn't feel anything. <laughs> so I, I tried some of these out with little success. So that being said, you know, I'm still, again, I'm not qualified. I'm, I'm Do we have time my backyard. to talk about the sphere here in Florida? Yeah, how much time? How much time do you got for us, Chatty? Can we help hold you up a little longer? Because I do want to go back to that. You You guys are the best. I got (laughs) another joint to roll here. Yeah, spark that up. I actually spark that up. I actually heard about this case that you're talking about. There was a podcast that did like a one season six episode run on that story and they called oddball yeah and it was so fascinating and that uh, shout out to that podcast it was really well made but i didn't really yeah that was a a great resource for the the project i'm writing about this case yeah Um, no it was good i i didn't i don't remember if i totally agreed with their conclusions it seemed like kind of a history channel take kind of you know a little watered down but yeah she was very documentarian about it which is good though like that's i it it left this extra avenue of research that you know was unturned a lot of paranormal weirdness stones unturned and that's no dig against that show because she like knocked it out of the park as like yeah. a traditional journalist would. She pulled records about blues, oh, yeah. like all kinds of shit. Um, oh yeah, no, it, it was a great. It's a great podcast. I'll link it in the description. But maybe you can give us a little breakdown on it real quick, though. I just want to say, how funny would it be if you're the king of the Incas? You can get on a your fucking homemade air balloon and it just catches fire and you're just burning <laughs> over your whole all your people to <laughs> see the king just like. <laughs> It's kind of a nuts. I'm sure that happened once or twice. (laughs) Oh man. But yeah, so, so we got this, we got this oddball case. We got this strange, very shiny, metallic, reflective, even autonomous globe, this ball, this, what is it, Chaz? Can you break it down for us? Yeah, absolutely. So this case, the bet sphere, this, this odd metal, kind of perfect sphere, was found on Fort George Island, just north of Jacksonville in, I want to say, 74. And it was found by the oldest son of this Betts family. They lived on in this super strange house on top of a hill, which already is bizarre in Florida. We don't get hills, right? This Mount Cornelia, it's the highest point in Dade County. And uh, not Dade, what's the county in Jacksonville? I'll fuck that up. Flagler or something? No, not Flagler. Um, Collier? I don't fucking know. Who cares? It's the highest point. And this house was built by a famous architect, Melvin Greeley. And it's like built like a European castle. It's got like a turret, these weird halls. And before the sphere was even found, it had all kinds of like haunted legends associated with it. People were hearing like organ music, even though there's never been an organ in the house. There were, you know, strange voices, the cell phone, the well, landline phone in the you know middle of the night, even though it wasn't connected. 
It kind of your classic haunted house, weird spheres of lights and shit. And Jerry Betts, she is a very interesting lady. Oddball really goes into her story and how cool she was. She in the seventies, she owned this trucking company and a real estate company. She's this tiny little woman, but like balls to the wall, like entrepreneur. She could put Trump in his place, you know. She like was in legal battles with the city council and like all kinds of wild shit and really enterprising, successful lady. She found out about this creepy haunted house and she like sold a fucking cake. And she lived in this fucking weird ass house. And one day her son found this metal sphere. And they put it in the house. They thought maybe it was like a cannonball or something. You know, it was a little shiny, but they put it in their house and it started to move one day when the sun started playing guitar near it. And it started to move kind of intelligently. Like it would like roll around as if it had a mind of its own. And eventually the media got involved. They filmed it rolling around. This radio show host saw it like roll to the edge of the table and like, hang itself there and there's dozens of witnesses who testify to seeing this ball move on its own and the navy ended up getting involved because right there on fort george island it's right across the uh, st john's river to a naval base and interestingly enough through my research on this project that i'm writing i found out that that naval base well it had two incidents before this encounter with ufos it was buzzed twice once in 1952 and then another time, and I want to say, to what was the other one? I don't know. It's written down in the project, which will be coming soon. You guys are kind of getting the cutting edge on this book that's about to come out in a couple months. Oh, yeah. So it was buzzed twice by once was a spherical kind of traditional object, another time by a triangle. And then, interestingly, the connection no one's seemed to make yet is that the videos, the famous Navy videos that have been, you know, circling around that will get 900, you know, documentaries about these videos. The the two ones, not the Nimitz, that was the one from 2004, the two later ones in 2015 were filmed while Miss Roosevelt, the aircraft carrier, was stationed at Mayport in Jacksonville. Those videos were filmed only a few dozen miles from where this island is and where in the 70s this family found this metal sphere. And if you remember those two videos, there's the one that's really intriguing. It's always the one they put at the like top. It's that weird, it looks like a flying saucer and it's kind of rotating and like the guys are like, what the fuck is that thing? But the other one, which was filmed the same day and supposedly these metal spheres were surrounding that other object, is one of these metal spheres right above the ocean and it is hauling ass. It's going ridiculously fast. And, you know, the camera guy's trying to catch it, trying to catch it, and then they finally catch it, and they're like, whoa, we got it. And they're like, what the fuck is that thing? And it's this, you know, really famous video, this go-fast video. And again, that metal sphere is hauling ass towards that island where 40 years ago, someone found a metal sphere that moved around on that island. And I don't know why the UFO community has missed this entirely. I don't know why I'm the guy who figured that out, but I am. And it's, again, this history, the, this island has this ridiculous history where before that, it's the home of Kingsley Plantation, where they have all kinds of ghostly legends. There's a, a couple different women in white there's this red-eyed entity that supposedly was a slave that was lynched by other slaves. 
this kind of super bizarre folklore story. Supposedly this demonic pair of red eyes hangs out around this island. And before that, it was inhabited by the Timucuan tribe, which inhabited it for thousands of years. It was also the location where French explorer Jean Ribault first landed in America. It is There's a sign on the island at the very beginning where you turn towards Kingsley and all these weird other places where it says this is the location where the first protestant prayer was prayed in north america was on that island and again the occult history it's just super super steep from ghosts up until the 70s where it turns into this ufo Uh, in the 50s too because at the, the base right across and so it's this this kind of interesting legacy story i got in contact with a bunch of other investigators there's a guy out there, Patrick Jackson, who he, he thinks that these spheres are responsible for like all paranormal activity. It's an out there theory. He's built this device, and I got the opportunity to test it out inside the Betts Castle, which now that, that haunted house on the hill. It's now abandoned, and it sits on state land, and it's kind of decaying. So hopefully with this project, we're, we're dropping a book and a petition to get the house recognized as a landmark so it can continue to be studied alongside, you know, these other historic buildings on that island. And because, fuck, man, it's a wild story. <laughs> you know, and again, this, this fear video, that's one of these videos that has changed everyone's minds about ufology. It has a history. The sphere is not just, you know, people are looking at it as like, oh, it's an alien and it's an alien ship surrounded by these probes. But that sphere was there 40 years ago. A similar, an exact one, an exact weapon. It's similar to, you know, in Patagonia with the friendship legend. You know, we have this legend of the 80s of these scientists who travel around and go in a ship alternatively. They often are reported riding around in a yacht. And then hundreds of years earlier, you have a story where these wizards all get together on this haunted floating ship, you know, that floats over the water and they conduct these bargains just like the friendship. And interestingly enough, a hundred years before that report, there's a report from the conquistadors. So not a good source, but they reported that this whole war tribe of, of Native Americans surrendered at one of their bases because they said that they were like getting ready to go attack the Spanish. And this star came down from the sky and landed in this river and a blonde woman walked out of it. Again, a blonde, this blonde archetype. And this is where the story gets a little unbelievable. They supposedly, according to the conquistadors, this blonde woman told the Native Americans to surrender and convert to Christ. And so they showed up. It was the Ashtar Galactic Command saying uh, that Jesus. So again, I think it's that's probably the Spanish being like that proves our mission is holy. Like they saw this angel and they surrendered and. Mm, not a that's bit. the propaganda. A little bit of, yeah. Money, We're starving. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, send that back to the fucking queen. Wow. Um, but it, again, it's still this archetype of all the way back to when Chile was first being colonized to the 1500s of a blonde woman walking out of a UFO. So we've got to start shifting our perception of these cases, whether it's cases in South America, or it's cases in Jacksonville, Florida, that they're these like one-off super bizarre things that don't happen. 
they happen and they seem to happen continuously and almost on some kind of schedule you know and like the 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 eclipses and the solstice it seems to be something that pops up every once in a while it might be on a longer cycle than that but these things are they they're, they've been with us throughout our history which leads me again to believe a little less in bee theory of course Suppose B theory could have been throughout our history as well, and maybe all that shit side effects of that. But uh, it's it's pretty out there. It would be hard to use that explanation to explain everything. I think Patrick Jackson's theory struggles sometimes using the spheres to explain everything. But he's an interesting guy. You might want to look into him. I'm sure he does. Well, and and come up and tell you about it more. I gotta give it up to you though. Because, you know, not only do you go out and you visit these places, not only do you, you put yourself on the line, but you're standing up for this site and hoping to get it registered as a landmark. That's really awesome, man. I think more people need to do that because who knows, maybe 20, 30 years from now, someone, you know, Chaz 2.0, some kid that's not even born yet has the next killer theory that is actually, you know, one step closer. And if, if that place gets destroyed, that'll never happen. So yeah, man, yeah. I, I think there's a, there's a whole lot to your story and your research, and I'm looking forward to keeping up with your work. I already have your first book, and I'm excited to learn that you have this second book coming out. Chris, you're you looking like a, a, some sort of redneck a sh chic over there with the way you're you like, not chic like 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 fashionable, but chic like a, a, a sultan, you know, like an, uh, the way your hoodie is tucked into your, your hat there. But what are your thoughts, brother? You've been awfully silent, very sultanish tonight. <laughs> Jeez, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I don't know, man. It's a whole lot of information. I feel like I just got hit with a torrent of shit that it's going to take me like six, eight weeks to take myself out. <laughs> I hear you. Dude. I mean, if you gave me a, a part to reference, we could talk about a specific part, but we did just go on like a two hour, like pretty much Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. So. Yeah, I fucking, love it. Fucking blasted and fucking bukkake in the face of information of fucking. Uh, all right, uh, all right, all right, all right, all right. One, nobody. No, but I want to add something. I want to add something. The because uh, Chaz is a Florida man. I recently just did uh, episode ninety four. We did an, uh, a tip of the occult origins of Florida and the the enigmatic figures behind the foundation of Florida, which John D. Rockefeller was at the forefront. I'm so serious, bro. No, bro. Enigmatic, son. Hold that, you bitch ass with your vocabularies. Yeah, enigmatic <laughs> means mysterious, unknown, Chris. Yeah. Okay. The founders. <laughs> Yo, the check fathers, this word out. Oompa Loompa, son. What you know about that? <laughs> Little fathers, people, bro. They make chocolate. What's up? I know words, B. Stop playing. Okay. The fathers of modern-day Florida Great. and the interesting history behind that. But, yes, Rockefeller is has a direct connection to the foundation of Florida. Man, and it was your man, San Tropez, and he was looking for that, that holy water, and he went down no, there. Florida, Juan Ponce de Leon, he was looking for the fucking fountain of youth. Oh, that was You wanted to live forever, bro. That's the occult. And that's the occult origin. The, isn't that, don't we see that everywhere? They always want to live forever. It's all about living forever. Yep. It's alchemy, bro. One, well, yeah. you need... Sorry. It's, 
it's weird though because you do see the connection well i don't know if there is a connection but it's weird that that island that has this ghost how close is that to jekyll island that one it's it's nearby so if you're if you're going you know the mayport ferry that like crosses the st john's right there where like little talbot state park is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just south of little talbot it's kind of like the road you drive to get to the, the state parks there's this little turnoff towards, and on the sign it says like Kingsley Plantation. But back there, there's the Rebalt Club, which used to be this like swanky club in the, the early 1900s, like this Gatsby party place. There's a little museum inside it now that kind of gives you like the island's, you know, traditional history. Mm. Um, but it's steeped in all of this, this ancient history. And again, it has this history of uh, John Rebalt saying this first prayer there. And then everywhere else John Rebalt went afterwards has a ghost legend associated with it. Interesting. We gotta get you on my show, bro, because there's a lot of shit that we can talk about. Kind of just just about to suggest that I, I, you guys could have a whole Florida boy conversation. Just to be clear, I just looked it up. Fort George Island is not like an ocean island. I'm glad I didn't ask you if it's in the Bermuda Triangle or not, because that would have been really dumb. It's like it's like a tidal kind of marshy island. It's it's on the coast. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of right into the. It's like the island at the mouth of a river. So you know, you think of a a delta, Mm -hmm. how it kind of spreads off into a bunch of islands. It's like that. You can go all the way around it in the like canals and stuff. Like Miami. Yeah, so yeah, it's it, you know, it's a, a key, like a lot of Florida. Mm-hmm. Not even a key though, because there's not even the, the bay between it's you know, on a it's a river island essentially. But this is the that, that mouth of that river was where Rebalt first landed and then he was massacred by the, the Spanish who set up Saint Augustine just a little bit to the south. Yeah, who was Saint Augustine? You look at who that was. That saint is the oldest city in fucking in the in the US, bro. There's so much occult fucking history connected to that. Yeah, it's no, it, it gets, this island's surrounded by all these ghost stories. Amelia Island to the north, also filled with haunted buildings and pirate ghosts and all kinds of crazy shit. And then there's this kind of island that sits in the middle, and it's known for this one UFO story when it actually has, you know, 500 years plus of, of history behind it. And again, the Timucua natives, uh, when you drive through the island, half of the hills, half of the things are shell middens from when it was occupied by Native Americans. The house, the hill that the house is built on is half shell middened. They don't really know how much of it was man-made and how much of it is natural. They know where it was most likely the location of Fort George, which it's named after, but that wooden fort has disappeared. But they assume they put it on the highest point because, you know, strategy would suggest. So the house is literally built on hundreds, thousands of years of, of history that, besides the paranormal shit, you know, historians would be interested in. It absolutely should be a, a museum. And as regards to, to this paranormal shit, it's a fascinating case study. I mean, you've got paranormal hotspots like the Bermuda Triangle, like, you know, Point Pleasant, West Virginia and stuff, where they have these, like, events and these peaks. The Bermuda Triangle kind of continues, but not not really. It really hit its peak in the 70s and 80s and 90s, and it's kind of dropped off. We haven't gotten a good Bermuda Triangle story in a couple decades. Well, I'm sure navigation has has advanced a bit, you know, the techniques through which they... That accounted for a lot of those stories, but... 
The no argument way, Mark, is no way, shipping dude. lane, and statistically, ships don't go missing more often there, and that's true. But you gotta look at the qualitative data because the stories of those ships, in particular, in the Bermuda Triangle, are fucking weird. A lot right. of places, ships get abandoned, and yeah, there's ghost ships floating around, and you know that's that. But there's some weird ass shit happening to those boats, which makes them become abandoned. So, no doubt. No doubt. Well, Chaz, this has been quite, quite an episode of Illuminati confirmed. I think you have been confirmed into our Illuminati. Whoops. Wrong button. Wrong button. Wrong button. What the hell was that? What the hell? Me asking Mark Sargent if he was a reptilian. All right. Well, okay. So, Chaz, thank you, dude. This has been a blast. People listening, go and get Chaz's book, Paranormal Expeditions Hunt for the Friendship. You can get that original copy now or wait for the second edition. It is being republished. And be on the lookout for a new book. Chazofthedead.com is where you can go to see all of the stuff Chaz is doing, even his other podcast appearances. Chaz, did I leave anything out? Um, no, I think you, you got it all. You can follow me um, on all the social medias at Chaz of the Dead. Um, yeah, that's it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Love it. Right on. Thank you, folks, for listening. You have been confirmed. Illuminati confirmed.
touching base with things I can't explain. Gods without names on a different plane. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain. Cells out of service can't reach me on the circuit. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain. Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain. Hardly feeling like a person, but the vibes are perfect. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain. Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain. Cells out of service can't reach me on the circuit. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain. Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain. Hardly feeling like a person, but the vibes are perfect. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain. Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait. wait, wait.